0: Thank you for joining us at Truth Matters Church. In this study, we zoom out and take a broader look at how to view biblical prophecy. Using scripture as our guide and example, our goal is to gain a better understanding of the means God uses to reveal prophecy and specifically how it relates to end times events. Download the PDF handout at our website, truthmatterschurch.org. Here is Pastor Alex.
1: continue our study in our Revelation series. I would consider uh, today's study a somewhat tangential but supplemental study to what we have done so far. And just to kind of share with you, um, there have been many times during these past couple of years where I feel like I'm at an impasse. Where I feel like, Lord, I, I, I don't know how much further I can see unless you grant grace so that I can see it for myself and be able to share that with you. So these were one of those weeks where I'm like, OK, we've done a lot of legwork. We've done all these foundations building. We've done we've put in the countless hours pouring into this study. And here we are at a portion of Revelation where we're going to get into the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, until the millennial, and then even after that. So it's going to pick up at a pretty rapid pace. And as I kind of try to struggle to say, okay, now that we've done all of our foundation building and setting, how do I take all that and say, "Okay, here's how we can view it," and that led to the bearing of the fruit of this supplemental study. It's how do we view prof- how do view prophecy? There is a way to view it. Yes, we have our guiding principles that we follow; that we must use scripture with scripture, and we must, uh, you know, if scripture is being, you know, figurative or using descriptive language. We have to use other scripture alongside it to understand. Of course, that, that doesn't change. But there's also another practical way that we need to view prophecy. And that's precisely what we're going to dedicate, at least the early portion of our study in doing. Is because once we understand just prophecies in general, and how do we view it, and how should we view it, I'm going to try to walk us through some of that thought process so that we can see really the scope of prophecy and how it is oftentimes more bigger than we can handle or chew. But nonetheless, we can still get an idea of what the prophecies are speaking of, you know, what it's pointing to. And then that way, when it comes to pass, it'll confirm that the word of God is spoken And it has come to fruition. So we're going to be using the early part of our study to view prophecies in general. And leading up to this point, we've done a review of all of our key learnings these past couple of years. We reminded ourselves of our 10 guiding principles our 10 ROEs. We've done our Daniel series. We've covered um, up to Revelation chapter five. We've even reviewed our supplemental studies in the review of the Godhead. And just more recently, the great Olivet Discourse. I, I will say that even these supplemental studies is bearing fruit in our understanding of truth in other places of Scripture. So although we're doing almost anything but Revelation at this point, Nonetheless, it'll bear fruit in its right time. And you remember when I used uh, the analogy of the Karate Kid? And the, the premise of that movie was you had a kid trying to learn karate. His name was Daniel LaRusso. And when he got connected with this old uh, older man, who turned out to be a, a master uh, karate person, um, was teaching him karate but was doing anything but karate. So this whole time, it's kind of like that. We're saying we're doing Revelation and we're studying and we're doing anything but Revelation, but nonetheless, it's going to come to a head because we need a lot of these understandings to be able to at least understand Revelation in its proper setting and lens. So with that, um, we are finally at that tail end of the review where we last left off. And where we last left off before we took this Um, Our long break for the summer was we got to Revelation chapter 6. And we got, at least, we touched upon the four horsemen and the seal. And today is going to be a little unique because I'm going to try to at least split up our study into two many studies so that we can at least take it, compartmentalize it to some extent, so that we can at least understand it. So, The two many studies that we have on tap today, as I mentioned, one is how to view prophecy. And then we're finally going to do our review of the four horsemen and the first seal. I will say this, and this is where I had to come to grips. It's important for us to realize that when it comes to prophecy, oftentimes it transcends us. Oftentimes. What I mean is this, and this is what we need to get. If Peter says, if one day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day, when it comes to prophecies, it may very well implicate decades, centuries, or even millennia. And and we're going to see this. And when I came to this realization, I was like, wait a minute. So prophecies could span hundreds if not thousands of years. So when I'm reading something that is completely foreign to me, that used to be intimidating to me. It might be intimidating to you. And I'm, and I'm here to remind us, it's okay. And when it, especially when we come across a passage that's so antiquated, given hundreds if not thousands of years ago, and we're reading a passage that seems mysterious, Vague or even broad, we're like, what do we do with this? And that's where I struggle. I'm like, well, Lord, we're here because we want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear what the Spirit has to say, says to the churches. But once I've come to the point where I said, you know what, it's okay if I don't know. And you should be the same too. So if we're going through this study and you're like, I have no clue what you're saying. This doesn't, come, doesn't seem relevant. It doesn't seem anything, you know, what's going on in the world today. It's okay. The word of God is still the word of God. And we're still, we're just trying to get on board with what he's revealed. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to stick to what we know. Let's not go beyond what we don't know. Me included. We're going to apply what we've learned. We've come across so much truths in, during this study. So we're going to stick to what we know, we're going to apply good disciplines, and we're also going to apply what we've learned. And then we're going to see where we end up. Because I'm telling you, once we pick up the seals and start going, it's kind of like the speedboat analogy, where you're on a speedboat and it's going 100 miles an hour and then it makes a hard left. And when we get to the book of Revelation, or when we get to this portion of Revelation and take off, it's going to be rapid and a lot is compacted in there. Uh, but we'll see where we end up as we, as we kind of walk forward with this. And this is going to be our approach when we're looking at how to view prophecy. We're going to approach when we get to Revelation 6 and forward the same way we've approached all of our other studies. So I want to say that our guiding principles that we set before us is really a healthy thing. And we're going to continue to pr- apply those good guiding principles as we study the text. We're not going to change now that we're going to pick it up in verse or, uh, Revelation 6 and forward. This is what I mean. We're going to keep Revelation in its historical context. Once we keep it in its historical context and in seeing where it takes us, that's how we're going to view it. And we're going to keep the other prophecies as well that we've studied in its historical context. So that's all of Daniel's visions and as well as the great Olivet Discourse. And something that we need to make sure that we also understand when it comes to prophecy, the prophet, when that prophet is inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit, God is working in that person and that prophet is seeing visions and dreams. It's from that point forward we gotta get this. It's from that point forward. So if the timeline is going from creation to the end of creation and the prophet is here, the prophet's not looking back. The prophet is looking forward. That's another word, another way to say it. This is when we say progressive revelation. When God started to reveal his will and plan, and he did it through the people of Israel, and he did it in a progressive way starting with Moses, you know, Joshua, and then the prophets that followed. And they would continue to build and add to Scripture. And then when the New Testament time came and Christ came, then we have the writing, the teachings of Christ and the writings of the Apostle. And it's continuing to build forward. But it's not going back. It's all progressive. And it's all coming to a conclusion. So, We have to get that prophecy is given from the time of the vision forward and you won't mix up the different prophecies. So here's what I'm going to do from here on out. I'm going to provide us examples from our studies, Daniel's visions, the great Olivet Discourse and then Revelation to show us this is how we view these prophecies because it could a lot of times go over us and when i flip the slide we're going to talk through it don't freak out and i try not to keep it too busy remember i'm going to walk through how do we view prophecy and this is going to help us also understand how to view revelation so in our daniel study the context here we had king nebuchadnezzar he was the king and the world's, the, the Babylonian kingdom was a superpower at that time. And one night he had a dream and it bothered him to the core. And this dream rattled him so much that he gave this edict. And he, con- he called all of the sorcerers, the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, he was so rocked to the core that he wanted to know what was the meaning of that dream. So then he called, supposed, it all of these wise men and he gave this decree or command. He said, tell me what my dream was and its interpretation. And he goes, if you don't tell me, I'm going to rip you or have you ripped limb from limb. But if you do tell me, he will greatly, you know, I will greatly bless you and reward you. That's how important it was for Nebuchadnezzar to know what this dream was. And the wise men, they don't know. And they're trying to buy some time. And they said, king, tell us the dream and we will tell you the interpretation. And the king goes, no, no. I want to make sure that you're not just blowing smoke in my face. I'm paraphrasing here. You tell me the dream. And once you tell me the dream, then I know that you can tell me its interpretation. And they asked him a second time. And he goes, I know you're buying time. They couldn't do it. So now the order went out to have them all killed. So Daniel and his three friends are, are caught up in this. And he hears word of, What's going on? And all of the wise men are starting to get put to death. And then Daniel says, you know, what is it? And he finds out, well, the king had a dream and he wants someone to tell him and it's interpretation. And he tells the guard, tell the king to give us some time. I want to go pray to our God. So Daniel and his three friends prayed to their God. And Daniel prayed to his God and appealed to him out of his goodness and, and, and grace. And then God gave him the dream and its interpretation. And then, of course, Daniel praised God, and then he, he went to the guard, and he said, OK, tell the king. I can tell him the dream and its interpretation. So that was around 600 BC. Now, take this with, you know, don't take this as gospel. This is just approximate dates. In the early 600 BCs, That's when this happened. And then when Daniel told the king his dream, he said, you dreamed and you saw this great statue. And he goes on to say you had a statue, a head of gold, uh, chest, arms of silver, a belly and bronze of uh, thighs, uh, your legs of iron, and then it had feet of partly iron and partly clay. So he goes, this is what you've dreamed. And then he goes on to say, this is the interpretation. He's saying, you're the head of gold. And then following you is going to be another empire. And then following that, a third empire, a fourth empire, until we get to the final world power. But here's, here's how I want us to understand how to view prophecy. So from 600 BC, this vision an interpretation was given. And he's saying, you're the head of gold, Babylon. And did, did you know this? So Babylon was a pagan king and kingdom. And yet God is the one who put him there. He's saying, I'm the one who made you great. That you may rest and that you have dominion over all the peoples and the animals. God did that. And, he, and Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, God put you In power and where you're at but he goes on to say you're the head of gold but he goes following you will be another kingdom that's inferior to them but they will succeed them and that as we look through history was the Medo-Persian Empire and then he goes then following them there is this other kingdom the belly and thighs of bronze that will follow them and as we know through history that is Greece and then following Greece, And this is Alexander the Great. He goes, there's going to be this empire that's even stronger than them all. And that was the Roman Empire. And then after that, he goes on to say there's going to be yet this final world power made of partly iron and partly clay. But here's what I want us to see from 600 B.C. covered all of these. Empires in time till the final end, which is around 2000 something A.D. You go from 600 B.C. all the way to 2000 A.D. And you know what he called what the what the how the prophecy says? This is the latter days days. But these are thousands of years. But yet he says the Lord God has revealed to you what will happen in the latter days. Days, Not the latter centuries or the latter millennias, which is what happened. But he revealed to him this. And then when we get to the final world power, and this takes us, based on what we've studied so far, I don't see at least this coming age going past this century. Talking about 2100, I don't see a 2100 A.D. before the end of the age. I think... If we were to take all of our studies and, and all of the, you can call it the nuggets or treasures of truth, our Lord's coming is really close, closer than ever. And whenever this is, the, the prophecy says there's going to be this world power in which Messiah will destroy and it'll crumble. And what's interesting is when you read this particular prophecy and it talks about the destruction of here, it starts from the bottom up. So it's as if like it's kind of like the Twin Towers where I don't know. or That's not a bad analogy. If something explodes from the bottom and then the, the top just comes down after, like last. That's exactly how this final world empire is going to fall. But. This prophecy given to Daniel was given 600 BC and took us all the way to 2000 AD and counting. So we're looking at over 2,600 years. And yet it's the latter days. So that's how we view prophecy, but look,'re reviewing it from that point forward until the end, because this prophecy took us to the end. okay? Next one, when we look at Daniel 7 and the four Four beasts. Here, Daniel had a dream and visions. And this was around 553 BC, somewhere around there. But when Daniel had this dream and visions, he saw four great beasts rising out of the great sea. He saw a lion with eagle's wings. He saw a bear with three ribs in its mouth, you know, rising up on its side. He saw a leopard with four heads and four wings of a bird. And then he saw this iron-teeth king. And then following this, he saw the Ancient of Days setting up kind of this heavenly court. And he renders a judgment. But Daniel was given this vision, and then he was given the interpretation The interpretation was these kings, or these beasts, are four four kings, or four meleks. And what we learned was that these four kings were coming out of the Great Sea, or the Rab-Yam, and quite literally, the Mediterranean Sea, which is why it places these four kings geographically around the Mediterranean, around the Middle East. But what I want us to get from here is Daniel saw four beasts at 553 B.C. And it takes us all the way to this fourth king who hasn't arrived on the scene yet. And then following that, the Ancient of Days pronounces judgment. And then we get to the Messianic kingdom. But look, this spans from 553 all the way to 2000 now and counting. So right there, 553 BC to the end of the age. So this is how to view prophecy: is to view it from the time of Daniel. He was given this vision, and he's looking forward. But looking forward takes us to the end, just like the first one with the great statue, and it being crushed by the great mountain that was carved out of a rock, not by or a mountain not by hand, and that was speaking of the final world power at the end. But it's still from that point of the vision forward. Is this? Kind of helping make sense. And one clue, and I'm going to be a broken record, that places these four kings to me towards the end is because a human mind was given to it, was given to this first king. So that tells me that this particular prophecy, even though it was given in 553 BC, and there there are some implications since that time, but the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy is going to be reserved for the end times. Here was its purpose. Why was Daniel given this great vision of the, or this vision of the four great beasts? Here was the purpose of these beasts or kings. And Hosea told us, in Hosea 13, verse seven, here's the father speaking, Yahweh. For I will be a, like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them. Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will tear open their chests and I will also devour them like a lioness as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. These kings that are evil and ferocious, that are going to rise on the scene, they're going to be raised up by God himself to punish them. And here's something that we got to get to, guys. You know, right now there's bombing in Israel. Just think this. Our Lord is angry at them. You got to get that. Why is there bombing of Israel and even innocent civilians? Our God is angry and his wrath is kindled. This is what he and this is what. And he's going to also raise up these kings to slaughter them. Look, I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard. I will lie on their wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. Look what our God says. I will tear open their chests. We're like, wow, I thought our God was a loving God. And he is. And when you um, read the scriptures, and let's say you read Daniel, and he appeals, he goes, you're a God of compassion and goodness. And he goes, remember your name. We, we bear your name. Remember your promises. What you're doing is right. So when there's bombing going on there, even up till now, our God is still right. But it's happening because they're refusing. He's saying, you're against me. You're against your help. Until the people of Israel appeal to their God, just like Daniel appealed on their behalf, there will be no relief in sight. But are we kind of getting this? From 553 BC takes us to the end, to the Messianic Kingdom, to 2000. That's also another 2,600 years or so. And yet, we're trying to understand this stuff. But once I saw this big picture, I said, okay, I'm I'm not as anxious anymore. I'm like, okay. So when someone says, oh, you know, this is Britain, or this is Russia, or this is China. You know what I say? I go, there's going to be fillers in, in the middle. And it's going to result in these coming on the scene. But to say, you know, specifically, once I know that this prophecy is fulfilled, if there is a king or a ruler given a human mind and at the end is going to turn and attack again, attack Israel, I'd be like, there it is. That's how we can know. But for this particular vision, it takes us, I would say this is more reserved for the latter times. Then when we get to the ram and the goat, so Daniel had a vision around the same time as he got the four great beasts. It's right around the same time. And he saw a ram and a goat. He saw a ram with two horns. Then he saw a goat with one large horn. And then he saw that that goat's horn, after defeating the ram, broken into four horns. And then he sees out of that four horns, a small horn coming up. And the translation was, an evil king will arise, remove regular sacrifice, fling truth to the ground. But from here, if you understand to view prophecy, when he gave the ram and the goat uh, here, you start, you know, ancient Greece. You're getting into the Alexander the Great right here. Right. And then when after Alexander the Great and his empire was broken up into four. But if you look at it. From from Daniel's standpoint, from 500 B.C., I should have have put dates here. This was around 300, what, 30 B.C. So we're looking at a little over 200 years from the time that he saw the ram, he saw the goat. uh, And then he saw the goat, uh, you know, um, the goat beating the ram and then being split into his horn being split into four. And then ultimately to this small horn. When you get to this portion right here, this is an end times prophecy. When you get to this part right here, an evil king will arise, remove regular sacrifice, fling truth to the ground. And then, sometime after that person arrives on the scene, then it says the holy place in Israel's army will be trampled. Then the holy place will be restored after that. But here, that's supposed to be a boot. And there is this temple, uh, you know, the holy place, it's going to be trampled. Presumably, again, that there's going to be the building or the erection. Of another holy temple, but here's another one from 553 B.C. all the way to now 2000 A.D. and counting. And uh, what's descriptive of this time is the final period of the indignation. Remember, I said when you you hear or you see a bombing or something tragic in Israel, they're still in the indignation. Who's ticked off at them? Their God. But there's going to be a final period of that. God's wrath on his people will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, toward the tail end of that, that's the final period of God's indignation. And even Gabriel told Daniel, this vision is is about the appointed time of the end. And that's in Daniel eight nineteen, And he even says this pertains to, look, it says days in the future, many days. How many days is that from from 500, like 2,500, 2,600 years? That's a lot of days. That's hundreds of thousands of days. But yet he says many days. So once I started to come to grips with, wow, a lot of these prophecies, it is looking forward and it all goes to the end. And it touches on different parts or different epics as well. But are we getting this? Look, it goes from 500 to 2,000. Okay. How about the infamous Daniel's 70 weeks? So as far as this prophecy goes, where we landed was the 70 weeks, the starting point starts at the issuing of a decree. And there were several decrees in the scriptures that we needed to consider. But one decree, in particular, when you get to Nehemiah chapter 2, under the reign of Artaxerxes Longmenus in his 20th year, the descriptions given concerning the 70 weeks, it had all of the components and felt comfortable to using this decree as the starting point. And that's, why, that's how we got it to this 454 B.C. date. So Daniel was given this vision before this time. But, it, but the prophecy or the clock starts at the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem pretty much fully. And, you know, it's a fortress again. And what meant that was at least at the time of Nehemiah. Now, the 70 weeks that was given Daniel... It was broken up in 7, 62, and a final week. But collectively, if you look at the 70 weeks from 454 B.C. forward, here's what's going to happen. Jerusalem will be restored and rebuilt in times of distress, which it was. Messiah is cut off, which our Lord was. The city and the sanctuary destroyed, which was in 70 A.D., but it says even after they're destroyed, there's still war and desolations determined. So if you thought that, OK, now that Israel or their, their second temple, Herod's temple, was destroyed, that that's, that that's done with them. Not according to this prophecy. No, there's still further wars and desolations determined. And when you keep going, it talks about the people of the prince who is to come. It's also called the leader. And I'm going to call him anti-God. He's going to make a firm covenant for one week, seven years. And this person is going to halt the sacrifices. And in following that, there's going to be the abomination of desolation erected in the temple. And when you hear the word desolation, desolation. When Israel was taken into captivity for those 70 years, the land was desolate. The people aren't there anymore. And it's no longer a land of flowing with uh, milk and honey. So a way to look at when you say desolations are determined, or when, they, uh, when it says the abomination of desolation, that means the people of Israel are completely taken out of their land. And in, in, this, in, in, in this case, by the hands of an evil king or ruler. But as far as the 70 weeks prophecy, another way to look at it. 490 years are determined for thy people and for thy holy city, says the angel when it was giving Daniel the interpretation. So 70 weeks is 490 years. Let me ask us a question. Is that 490 years? Like, It's been more. Remember, many days is thousands of years. So these 70 weeks isn't 70 weeks. And even if it's weeks of years, that's 490 years. But a lot more than 490 years has passed since this time. And yet the end of the 70 week period. Here's how it's going to. This, this is what's going to be fulfilled. In this prophecy. All of this needs to be fulfilled. Shut, uh, shut up the transgression. In, in other words. No more sins. No more punishing Israel for their sin. And that includes sealing up sins. Cover iniquity. Cover Israel's iniquity. Bring in a righteousness age. Seal up vision and prophet. And then anoint the holy of holies. So for this 70 weeks prophecy to be fulfilled, all of this needs to be complete. So we know that this 70 weeks is still unfulfilled. Because the people of Israel are still sinning and are being punished for their sin. Atonement hasn't been made for their sin. They, the, they, their, their iniquities haven't been covered. And there hasn't been this righteousness age that was promised to them in the Old Testament scriptures. So, this tells us that even though this prophecy, let's say, began here at 454 BC and it's 70 weeks of years, we know that this 70 weeks still is ongoing. And when we try to calculate using the day for a year principle, then that's how I guessed when the world might end. It's, it's consistent with what I said earlier. I don't think it's going past 2100. No, not, I don't even think it's going to be close to 2100. But here's how I want us to see this prophecy. It was given, at, let's say it started at 454 BC, and it takes us to the end of the age. Here we are, again, another maybe 2,500 years. This 70-week prophecy right now has spanned over 2,000 years and counting. So when we read Daniel and we read you know, anything in antiquity, anything old, and you're like, I don't understand. It's okay. That's what I'm saying. I I have to get comfortable with this because I want to know everything. But I realize, I go, wait, a lot of this transcends us. But we can get this, right? Mm -hmm. This will come to an end. The 70 weeks will be fulfilled. And this will happen to his people. I want you to notice this right now. Right here, this this, this has nothing to do with the church. This has nothing to do with the church. The 70 weeks prophecy has nothing to do with redeemed believers. This has everything to do with his people. Everything. And if we don't mix that up, we'll be okay. But here, once the 70 weeks is fulfilled, then this messianic kingdom will come. And that's this point right here, bring in righteousness age. Now it's here. Christ is here. And he's on earth. But are we getting this, how to view prophecy from the time of the prophet forward? And it goes to the end. Are are we kind of seeing this? Okay. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, this study, you know, those charts that I, we just saw, that was a fruit of this study. This study helped me frame our, great, our, our Lord's great Olivet Discourse. So when we look at the great Olivet Discourse, and, and we look at it this way, when the disciples asked our Lord that loaded question, what will be the sign of your coming and, and the end of the age and the destruction of, of, of the temple? And then he starts to speak... That was from 30 A.D. forward. That's what. From 30 A.D. forward, the, let's just say the the, the it, it's the clock's in motion. 30 A.D. So when our Lord gave this great Olivet discourse, it's from 30 A.D. forward. Okay. And he, and then what we learned is that first epic is he goes following me. He goes if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. And then remember the discussion that Peter. When our Lord asked Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Because Peter rejected him three times. And then he says, you know, just feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then our Lord told Peter, he goes, Peter, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. And he pretty much told him, you're going to die. That's the church tribulation. Beginning with the apostles, our Lord said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you and those who believe your message that started that first century and that's going to continue to the end of the age. But our Lord told them, this, this is when the ball's in motion. After they kill me, or the, now that they killed me, they, they're going to kill you and those who follow. But he goes, but he who perseveres to the end will be saved. He goes, don't worry about it. Just stay faithful. Stay faithful. And that admonition is applicable to all The entire church's existence, whether it's the seven letters to the seven churches or any churches and believers that followed from that 30 AD even till now. So right now, if there's people being killed and martyred for being a Christian right now, what rings true? He goes, you are part of this great tribulation experienced by the church. And he goes, and the time will come when you will be clothed and robed in righteousness but just stay faithful to the end. So this notion, oh, and, and, and another thing what I've um, kind of come to grips with, have you heard of the word dispensation? Unlearn that. Look, what we're learning, there's no dispensation. What do you mean? There's epics of time, and, but prophecies can span over centuries and millennia. Who is to say that it works in this way? It's, it's not that cookie cutter and, and this church tribulation, this notion that, oh, it's speaking about the last seven years of history, this, tri- this great tribulation, that's a dispensational thought. Where are you getting that from? No. The church tribulation began at the killing of Christ, and then his apostles, and all believers that followed. That started that, you can, you can say even 30 AD after, to the end of the age. That's what it is. As long as the church is here... And if they're being killed for the name and cause of Christ, you are experiencing great tribulation. And then the promises that are in those letters, he who perseveres or he who overcomes, I will grant to eat. You know, I will, I will write on them a new name. I'll give them a stone that no one knows, right? He gives all these promises. You think that's just applicable to the first century believers? Do you think that's applicable to someone who's getting beheaded right now in another part of the world? Of course. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on, on my throne as I have authority to sit with my Father on his throne. That church tribulation will continue from that first century till the very end. But understanding this right here, when we learn from 30 AD forward, When he gave this, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be church tribulation. There's going to be false Christs and false prophets. There's going to be Israeli wars. There's going to be Gentile wars. And there's going to be worldwide calamities. And he said, these are likened to birth pangs. But look, these all began, all this began in the first century. That's almost 2,000 years ago. And it's still going on. Israeli is still having war. Israel is still having wars in that land. And there's still Gentile wars going on among Gentile nations. That's been going on from that first century even till now. But our Lord said, it must be this way. And when it happens, don't be alarmed. Russia attacked Ukraine, he goes, don't be alarmed. Hamas attacked Israel, he goes, don't be alarmed. He goes, these things must happen, but the end is still to come. There's going to be World War III, he goes, don't worry. It's going to happen. Or if it happens, it happens. He goes, just believe in me, and I will give you the gift of life. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful promise. But so, if you if you understand these prop, if you, I'm teaching us how to view prophecy, I'm trying to put in my, I'm trying to show you in my little tiny peanut brain, putting hundreds of hours of all of this learning and study. How can I put it in a way that we can understand it? And hopefully, this is helping. So, what's going to happen is. He goes, after all these things, right? He goes, then when one of those nuggets of truth when it says the, the, the love of most will grow cold. And there was this correlation with Judaism, dead works. So this kind of tells us here, and this is consistent with Daniel's visions, right? There's going to be a temple. Someone's going to put a cease to sacrifice. There's going to be some dead works going on. And lo and behold, that was even considered in our Lord's Olivet Discourse. And this is, Judaism will be in full effect, and this will be towards the end of the age. So these things are kind of going on as they would. So if you think about the church tribulation, what the church has experienced these last couple of thousand years, it's kind of just, it's, it's going on as it should. It's going on as it should. And all of these things, false Christ, false prophets, that's been happening that first century, even you know, even forward, and that would include Muhammad, right? He warned us that there's going to be false Christs and false prophets claiming to have, in this case, visions and dreams or revelations. But here, when you get to the the great Olivet Discourse, he's saying these things are happening, and then we're going to get to Israel's apostasy. And then Jerusalem's tribulation, and this is labeled here, and I try to put it all in blue, this is specific to the people of Israel. I want to ask us a question. The four great beasts, and I'm going to give us a reminder, they are raised by God as punishment to his people. Where would you say, based on this, that the four beasts would fall? Which epic? Jerusalem. This is specific to Jerusalem or the people of Israel. So... The four great beasts, when they arrive to the scene, it's going to implicate these epics right here. And then after he's done punishing them, then there's going to be great global tribulation. Sun, moon, darken, stars will fall from the sky, and there's going to be mass deaths. And then we get to the sign of the Son of Man in the sky. And I, this is a guess. I think there's going to be a lightning Display that has never been seen before on Mount Sinai. And then an uh, an angel mid-heaven is going to preach the eternal gospel. And then once all this happens, remember, this must happen. And then Jesus is coming with the clouds of heaven, and every eye will see him, and we get to the great trumpet. Let me ask us a question. Where do you fit the secret rapture in here? Could he come 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 here? But he says he can come at any time. Could he come anywhere here? All these things must take place and then he can come. Our Lord can't come on a secret rapture until all that he's spoken of comes to pass. Isn't that what Paul said? He goes, let no one deceive you that the day of the Lord has come, for it cannot come until the man of lawlessness is revealed. So, first of all, this has to happen first, at least, at least to give that. But if you thought that Christ could come at any time here, you're you're really badly mistaken. He goes, well, the man of lawlessness, he's going to be the one who's going to give Jerusalem's their worst tribulation that they've ever experienced. And that's going to be right here. But you see this, how to view prophecy from from Christ is from 30 A.D. until here we are in 2023 and counting. But yet he touches all of these. Like there's a lot of history that's happened these past couple of thousand years, but that prophecy is still relevant and it's still moving forward. Amen. Are you with me? Okay, now. So this, because now we're studying Revelation. Okay, now, with all that we've learned right there. How do we view Revelation? This is the most simplest. Now, trust me, it, it's, a, it's crazier than this. But this is super high level. But Revelation was given to John when he was exiled in the Isle of Patmos around 95, 96 AD, right? Remember, you view prophecy forward. What's forward of John. He says, Wr- write these letters to the seven churches. So that that's still that first century. Then after these things, he was taken to heaven. And then the angel says, come, let me, l- let me show you what must take place after these things. And we get into the throne room and all that. But then once we get into the throne room and there's this majestic scene. And you have the father holding a scroll sealed up with seven seals. And you know the story. Our Lord was found, was the only one found worthy to open the scroll. But here, after the seven churches, you get to the seven seals. After the seven seals, you get to the seven trumpets. After you get to the seven trumpets, you get to the seven bulls. And then after the seven bulls, we finally get to the millennial reign of Christ, where Satan's bound, and we get to Armageddon. And then after that thousand-year reign of Christ, it says Satan will be loosed and he will gather the armies for Armageddon, and then Christ will destroy him with the sword of his mouth. And then after that thousand-year period, we get to the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. Did you know that, well, there will be a renewal or a regeneration when all of this stuff happens, When we, especially when we get to the, the trumpets and the bowl, all of them, seals, trumpets, and bulls, when our Lord pretty much is going to annihilate this existing creation, he's going to regenerate it. And it's going to be regenerated for another 1,000 years. So this new heaven and new earth is going to come sometime around 3,000 A.D. Before we get to the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem that John saw in Revelation 22, we will be in 3,000 A.D. Something. So when we say, oh, the end of the world, well, what do you mean? Well, the end of this age, this present world that we know, it is coming to an end soon. But then once this is put to an end, it'll be renewed. And that's when we get to this thousand year reign or, you know, we can even put uh, the millennial reign of Christ right here. And then after that, then we get to the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. So what I'm telling you is from the scripture. Read it for yourself. We go back to all of our countless studies. And, you know, uh, I remember for the fir- I remember when the first time I heard that there was a millennial reign of Christ. I go, really? Isn't he in our hearts and that's it? And we're just going to go to heaven? Like, we just live, we receive Christ, we die, and then we wake up in heaven, and then that's it. Well, that just shows that we're ignorant of the Old Testament. The Old Testament's consistent theme is that they're going to, uh, is that, there will be this millennial reign of Christ. What did our disciples ask our Lord during, you know, right before he ascended? Our, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what did our Lord say? It's not for you to know the times or the epochs determined by my Father. But he goes, but go and make disciples, baptizing them all to observe all that I have commanded But... Are we seeing this here? This goes from 95, 96 AD to the end of the age. So that's my case in point. We're going to keep prophecies just like that in its historical context. We're going to keep revelation and revelation is called the prophecy. The entire book is the prophecy. We're going to keep revelation in its historical context too. And now when we get to of the first seal and then we get introduced to the four horsemen we are going to keep revelation in its historical context that settled my spirit when I said you know what i'm going to keep it where it is and wherever this and wherever the breaking of the seals and its description takes us that's where it takes us when you just just go like this and surrender then it's not as intimidating the scripture just saying as his children, if we want to know more of these things, will he not? Like, if, remember, what did the Lord say? If a child is hungry and asks, you know, ask for bread, are you going to give him a stone? Are you going to give him something completely contrary to food? So here, I think as we continue to just exercise good discipline, it's like, no, Lord, as your children, we want to get fed. He will give us bread in its, in its proper time, spiritual food, our daily bread. That we, in our Lord's prayer, Lord give us this day our daily bread. He will give that to us in its right time. But this is going to be our approach. When we pick up Revelation six, we're going to keep it from ninety five, ninety six, eighty forward. And what did we learn about the Daniel ones? Even though it was given six hundred B C, five hundred B C, in four hundred B C, where did that prophecy take us? To the end revelation. It's going to go from 95, 96 AD, and it's going to take us to the end. And then we'll see what's going to happen at the end. And it's, the way I use the word, it's pretty gnarly what's going to happen. But that concludes our study and our tangential study
0: on how to view prophecy. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today, and we do hope that this study helped you have a better foundation for understanding biblical prophecy, especially around timelines and events often used in Scripture. And as always, we encourage you to search the Scriptures for yourself and never rely on man's interpretation alone. If you're enjoying this study, we'd like to invite you to tune into our studies live on Friday nights through our website, Details and times can be found at truthmatterschurch.org. Again, that's truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.